Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is Dr. Karen Simmons. She's the CEO and founder of Autism Today. She's also the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, Children with Special Needs Edition. Thank you for coming on, Karen. Why don't you uh, tell us a little more about you? Well, thank you so much, Mike. I wish I was a doctor. I think I should be a doctor, but um, I have to set the record straight. Um, I've had a lot of doctors on my show and in my conferences, but um, anyway, so I started Autism Today in 1998, and it was because I had two children. I had one child with autism who was diagnosed in 1996, and I just I wanted to write a book about him to help his other parents and other teachers understand his autism. So when he went to school, that he wouldn't, they would understand him. You know, why was he spinning around in circles, and why was he jumping up and down and different, doing different things? You know, I wanted them to understand. And I wanted other people to identify and be able to offer him the supports that he needed. So that's what got me started. That leads me to a number of questions, but I'll I'll hold those for right now. What were you doing before you kind of jumped full pace into being an advocate for autism and such? Well, my mom worked for the airlines, worked for Pan America, and my dad was an aeronautical engineer. And I decided to become a gemologist. So I used to travel around the world and buy gemstones and go to the mines. And um, yeah, I, I loved going to the mines. So I went to all over the world. I got to travel for pretty much, you know, either 10% or free. And then went to Africa, Asia, um, Sri Lanka, all over. And that was my life. And I had a jewelry store and just, just did a lot of different things like that. Quite the globe traveler. Yep. So I switched fields. Yeah. What was your um your your childhood like? Having parents that you know, mother that worked for the airlines, and a father who was, you know, probably deep diving into trying to make planes go better, faster, more efficient. <laughs> well, traveled a lot, and my mom, um, we we always got to see life through different lenses, and I think it really opened my world up. So I got to see from different perspectives, and I got to appreciate people from for who they were and who they are and I think it's really helped me out in my life and helped me see a lot of things from you know from help me appreciate people through a lot of different lenses and a lot of different perspectives Got it. and yeah so that's that's yeah I could go into that for a long long time <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump into the, the first question that popped in my head um, because as you were talking about your child you there, there was a lot of flashbacks that I had to my youngest. Um, when he was in preschool, we had mm-hmm. a phenomenal staff. They recognized early that he had a tactile issue. The, he always needed to be fidgeted, but if his hands were occupied with something, they, they knew they could get his brain, and they mm-hmm. completely captivated his brain, even while his hands were, were fidgeting, doing other things. So I guess my first question is, is, is ADHD on the spectrum? Because I've well, heard conflicting well, yeah. sides to it. Right now, what they're doing is they're framing everything as neurodiverse neurodiversity. I don't know if you've heard that mm-hmm. term. But it's taken off a lot. And they're talking about that as being like the umbrella term. So autism fits under neurodiversity. So does ADHD. So does Tourette's syndrome. So do a lot of different different types of um, 
of situations, conditions. So a lot of times people with autism can also have ADHD. And I looked this up this morning just to see where we're at right now. And 50 to 70% of people with autism also have have ADHD, according to some of the recent stats. So one, you know, like it's, they they all get mixed up and they all um, kind of fit under the umbrella of neuro, neuro, under the umbrella of neurodiversity. I've, I've heard that they've kind of, or always seem to every few years reevaluate what falls under the uh, spectrum of, of autism. Mm-hmm. It, it used to be very kind of very narrowed. Like if you weren't quote unquote oh. normal, you were, you had, you had autism and that was it. And then slowly, you know, if you had Asperger's, um, if you had ADHD, if you had this, you know, the little things started popping up and I'm glad to see that they've kind of gotten away from that. Yeah. Thought no, got away from, you know, pinpointing labels like that and, and have kind of broadened the idea of what, is really under the spectrum. Well, it's really good to look at the at the conditions that happen, you know, within the labels. So it's looking at the sensory, looking at the behavior, looking at the communication, looking at the social skills, you know, looking at the relationship challenges, looking at the challenges that we're facing, not necessarily the label. Because if you address the challenges, then you can address the label indirectly, and then the people right. don't get so offended by the label. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a, a fan of, of labels in general. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. They help with funding. I mean, they help us get funding, but they, right. they're not great. <laughs> I think it, it, to me, most labels, especially when we talk about anything regarded to mental development or psychology or psychosis, certain labels tend to add that negative connotation to it. Um, I think most people, when most people think that someone has a specific neuro specialty so so to speak they kind of put a cap on what that person's capabilities are which is mm-hmm. and they, completely wrong in my opinion right and they judge yes judgment right. comes a big way with labels that's one of the reasons why i don't like them very much right yeah i know what you mean they do help with funding they do help with identifying where we can focus on the challenge you know that that's the area where i believe they, they do come in handy but I, I agree with you that labels can be get in the way of the person, the human, and we right. need to work with the human being there. And really, I think there's a lot, like one, 20% of the people are pretty much neurodiverse. Which is a significant yeah. number. I mean, a lot of people. do you, um, I should ask, is, is autism or some of the conditions that people live with, ADHD, Tourette's, things like that, does that fall under mental health or is that a completely different thing or do they kind of intertwine every once in a while? That does fall under mental health. Yeah. And you have to look at the severity too, you know, like mild, moderate, severe, you know, look at the scales of how, how challenging the person's behavior is or how challenging sensory issues are, you know, is the person speaking? Are they not speaking? You know, how, how much, interaction do you need to have with with the person to be able to help them be in the world right you know and so these we just did a world autism summit and we had 81 presenters and we talked about everything from early intervention early diagnosis all the way to living in living in the community living independently getting a job you know like that's a big issue you know when my son was first diagnosed we didn't think about those things. All we were doing is primarily trying to get through the day, right? you know, and 
he turned 20 and oh yeah we got to get <laughs> he's got to get a job he's got to live by himself you know and so i had not one but two kids that were one autistic and one neurodiverse so we had to figure out where is he going to live is he going to live at home you know and we had to navigate all that and a lot of people have to yeah we don't want to take our kids and, and decide for them to live you know in some type of an institution which is what they told me my son was going to live in, in an institution and i wasn't going to have it again <laughs> bad label i think there's a number of organizations in jersey that i've i've dealt with in my ems and my law enforcement profession that i believe did really good things to try and help people who were neurodivergent live as close to a normal life and self-sustaining and self-sufficient as possible. They, they helped them with jobs. They gave them, you know, there was group homes that they'd live with two or three people that were under their umbrella, their, their smaller umbrella. Mm-hmm. But it also provided challenges for both me as an EMS professional and as a law enforcement officer that because, as you pointed out, everybody's everybody's struggles is, is slightly different from each other. There's no, there, everybody's unique in, in that capacity where mm-hmm. how we address with, and deal with one person of one thing is not how we're going to address with the, the other person. How do you go about kind of really educating either EMS law enforcement or, or just people in general about these differences? Well, you do have to raise awareness around social skills, you know, like some of the challenges around that. And by, putting on world autism summits, <laughs> you know, that was, that was quite the undertaking. We had seven days worth of con- you know, seven days worth of experts. Where was that held at? We did a virtual. Oh, okay. Cause it's world autism summit. It has to be everywhere in the world. We wanted to, to, you know, bring information to people in Africa, in Asia, you know, in Sri Lanka, in Dubai, we wanted everybody to, you know, appreciate what, like some of the teachings from all over, we had presenters from Europe. We had presenters from Australia. Um, we had presenters from we had Temple Grandin, Stephen Shore. We had a lot of the really top experts, you know, presenting. So that's that's what I'm doing. You know, I've been doing this since 1998, and I've, I've yeah, I've been <laughs> I've been busy doing this for a long, long time. Have you seen leaps and bounds in in a good direction of how things have changed? I've seen a lot of growth. When I wrote my first book, it was called Little Rain Man at the time. And I know there's like that was back in 1996. And there were 34 books that my publisher had published at that time on autism. And now there's literally thousands of books. So a lot of movement. There's a lot more that needs to be done. But our mission with the World Autism Summit was to move the needle of understanding and support for people with autism and neurodiversity fastest way possible in my lifetime. So, well, and, and continue, you know, continue it too, right? I think it's a matter of as we look for solutions for other, one thing, you tend to find other problem areas that need to be addressed before you can finish right. that one thing. Right. So w- one thing I wanted to mention also that the World Autism Summit led to two partnerships, one of which was a partner that I have, which is um, we formed a company called Neuro Nutritionals because there's so many problems with the environment, so many problems with some of the nutritional products out there. And the person, um, his name is Lindsey Duncan, and he has been in the field for 40 years, and he believes in clean clean nutrition. And so he makes, like, he has a he has a 40 years experience, and he's one of the founding people that has brought many of the 
products um, into the uh, United States, North America. And um, so it's anyway, it's for specifically for neurodiversity. And we're launching that on that's actually what we're launching. Does he recommend uh, I'm guessing he would recommend different things for different neurodiverse people like um, a different type of diet for ADHD people as opposed to uh, other things. I, I did recently within the last year or two become more aware of the idea of, you know, the happy gut, happy mind kind of mindset where, you know, good gut biome can play a significant part in into how your brain actually functions functions due to the, you know, the, the chemicals and the nutrients that, that you have in, in your body. Let's dive into that a little bit. What, what obstacles has he had? Because I can imagine somebody trying to bring in, you know, the homeopathic idea or nutritional supplements things is going to meet resistance to the, our lovely FDA. Well, I think that he's finding, uh, he's seeing that there's a lot of fillers that are filled with um, not necessarily the best things in the world, you know? So he wants to make sure that the fillers that he uses in all of the, all of the nutritional products that he creates are completely clean and natural. And so that's why he manufactures things himself and he makes sure that everything is tested by um, doctors and um, medical professionals and everything's backed by science and evidence-based. Are we talking talking fillers in that go into specific medications or just fillers in, in general food medication? Well, anything, anything he he creates because he can only, he can only control the things that he makes. Right. Yeah. So, um, but it's, I think it's a problem everywhere. We have too much, too many additives in our foods, too many, the environment, you know, is problematic. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it, it's one of the things I always go back to when we talk about trying to eat healthy and, and eat cleaner. It's, it's just absurd that you can go to a fast food restaurant and pay three bucks for a really high caloric value cheeseburger, but you've got to pay like eight bucks for a salad. Oh, it's crazy. And, you know, lettuce was, it used to be so cheap. (laughs) Well, I mean, everything, if I, my thought process is if it's, if there's less products to uh, production to it and there there needs to be less stuff messed with it, then it should be easier and cheaper to put out. (laughs) (laughs) That's me too. I think that way too. More, more questions (laughs) than answers sometimes. (laughs) Um, What other, what, what type of, supplements does he does he have is it is it more medication type things or is it strictly vitamins nutrition, no it's, it's not medication no okay. it's nutrition it's nutrition he's starting out with three different products so it's going to be three clean scientifically backed uh, products you know to chelate and you know different those three products and um you can go well i'll send some links and some information over to you so you can put that up definitely so you're about to go live with a, I'm not sure if I should call it a new venture or just a, a new component to to your mission. Why don't we go into that? What That's exactly a new is that? Venture. It's a new venture and it's neuro nutritionals. Yeah. Okay. Is that, yeah. So it's a separate venture. That's the thing that's starting that you guys are kicking off tomorrow? At tomorrow, but this is going to be not tomorrow. <laughs> right. I was just about to mention For anybody who's clearly listening to this, this is when I say tomorrow, I'm referring to uh, November, November 27th, November 27, yeah. 2023. On talkshop.live, yeah. So what what exactly is that? Is that just a, a, mean, a means for people to see what opportunities and what options that they have 
as far as these nutritionals? We're launching, we're launching three new products. So that's what he's going to be talking about. So okay. he's going to be because he's the one, his name is Lindsay Duncan, and he's a certified nutritionist and doctor of naturopathy. I'm going to read it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. He has 40 years of experience in the natural wellness and supplementation field, and he's earned hundreds of awards for his cutting edge and extremely clean supplement formulations. He's also been on um, lots of the, the like to the Today Show, the um, View. He's been a regular on those shows, okay. and Doctor Oz, and different shows, and lots of TED Talks. So you can go see him; like he's very well known. Right. So okay. he's been very, um, very good. It sounds like really, good. <laughs> yeah, really good guy to <laughs> be connected to. A wealth of knowledge, and and knowledge is being clearly utilize in a good in a good means in a, in a needed area right very needed very very needed given the changes that you have seen what are some of the more significant in a positive direction type of changes have you seen in your your time of doing this well i really am happy about all the awareness and people are starting to understand what autism is and not judge it as much as they have in the past they're starting to open up and they're starting to engage you know, and talk to people. You know, it used to be where you'd walk up, you would see somebody that would maybe maybe be behaving a bit differently and shun them. And now people are starting to engage more. I think that's good. I'm starting to see more, yeah, more of the non-speakers coming out more and talking, or not talking, but, you know, like... Engaging how, how they engaging. can. More, more film um more film i think that's good because that raises awareness as well okay what do you mean by film like more movies okay on autism more um shows more Got netflix it. more more awareness more media to, to increase awareness. more media because it has to be there has to be more media there has yeah. to be more understanding you know like there's love on the spectrum there's temple grandin who's made movies she's got another movie coming out you know things like that have you seen things that you see trends that you've seen going kind of in a wrong direction that either have still continued down that bad path or, or that at least were kind of caught in time that didn't do too much damage. Well, like the neuro neurodiversity trend is good, but people have a tendency to sometimes take things down a path like the neurodiversity movement. Um, some people don't like to be called neurodiverse because they don't like to be diverse. So some people say, well, why don't we say neurodistinct? Because that makes me feel more appropriate. You know, yeah. so they get real, real picky about the language. And I think we really need to be less picky about the language and more focused on what we can, you know, how we can facilitate help. And like I said, you know, focus on how we can help people. The, the substance, I think, is is a big thing. And substance. I, mm -hmm. I think I, I agree with people get hung up on words. And yeah. For some reason, you know, I, I don't, me personally, I don't see the big difference of being divergent or. They get myopic in their focus, too yes. myopic in their focus. What other trends do you see that are currently going, aside from, from the rise in awareness? Anywhere? We're, we're, we're focusing on careers. We're focusing on jobs. We're focusing, and this is a positive trend. We're focusing on helping you know, people get careers instead of just jobs right. and not pushing people into jobs, 
you know, that they don't want to be in, just helping them find what they where they where they want to be. Right. I'm trying to help people, you know, focus on what they of the gifts, strengths, and talents of what they like to do. Right. As opposed to, you know, where they end up being. <laughs> Does that often require you guys to kind of consult with psychiatrists and psychologists and things along that nature to kind of really pinpoint where people's strengths are to help facilitate them get into a, a job or a career that they're looking for that they would fit in best? Consult with psychologists? Yeah. I think that they would just like, as they're going to school, as they're living a life, they're going to find the things that they like to do. Their and passions. To, yeah. And if their if their parents and the people, their support group help them go that direction, I think that's where it comes in really it's really important that the people that surround them help them go down the, those channels. How often, and, and I kind of hesitate to inquire with this, but how often do you see the families kind of fight what's in the best interest of their, of the, their child as opposed to what's in the, what they want them to, to do, what they want them to do kind of like their, the resistance, I guess. Yeah. I think that's, that does happen. You know, it's like maybe the, the parents want them to be one way and they want to do and do something totally different. So that does happen. But I don't know. I think I'm not in everybody's home. Right. <laughs> what kind of things do you think would be more beneficial as far as assistance? And, and when I bring up this question, it might piss off some people, but I, I think regulation to a certain extent is good. What types of aid and aside from the assisting with the awareness do you think like we could solicit from government (laughs) (laughs) or is that a is that a a kind of a a faux pas kind of question how can we loosen those purse strings is what you're asking me right something along those lines (laughs) depends on who's in control and depends on do they have any kids with autism you know it does help if they have a connection you know if they have a relationship with somebody then they can have a they can have an internal understanding of what's going on, right? Right. I I definitely agree with that. People tend yeah. to have one opinion until they're kind of thrust in the middle of it, and then it. Then they go, "Oh, now I can do it." <laughs> when their foundation's kind of shaken, it's just like, uh, "Oh, this is what they're dealing with. Uh, what? Yeah. This isn't nice. Let's what what can we do to fix this?" Yeah. No. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should do something about this. Yeah. But that's human nature. Yeah. Isn't it? I, I think so. And I think the way that we can shift the world really is to have the children teach the parents because I think the parents are so stuck in their ways, you know. Yeah. If we if we start teaching the children like through books and through movies and through things like that, teaching them acceptance and teaching them about understanding, then that's the way it's going to the, the world's going to change. There was a a past guest that I had on um her and her husband and some other people started a kind of a collective for people that were on the spectrum that taught them skills, kind of helped them function critical in the normal day to day, you know, taught them mm-hmm. cooking skills, taught them, you know, personal hygiene skills. There was a farm. So they kind of, kind of got to work on the farm and interact with animals, things like that. What kind of programs do you think would be more beneficial for people that are, are under the bigger umbrella? That is good. That's a good one. I mean, we have people around here that do that too. You know, um, going and working in a in an office is really good too. It depends on what they like, right? You know, but on the job training or or being experiential training, experiential 
work in different work environments is very, very good. Yeah. Like they can go, you know, work in a, in a place where they make movies, if they like to make movies. If they want to, you know, if they like animals, they can go work on a farm. If they like to, you know, if they, anything, if they like to cut film up, then they would go, you know, work at a place where they do that too. Do you tend to see these types of programs or at least, again, for lack of a better term, governmental type of programs like this, groups that kind of cater to this specific portion of the population to, to help them get to where they need to be, to help them become a little more self-sufficient and Again, I hate to, to term normal, but a, a normal everyday functioning. Thanks yeah, to personal, personal. Um... I was reading something about normal. And I took a picture of it because it wouldn't print. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite clever. It's like in the, that the term normal was came out in 1840. And it really is something that we rarely aspire to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Self-sufficient, um, I think, is the, is a better term as opposed to normal. I see private organizations coming up with a lot of different solutions. My son's enrolled in a thing called iSocial, okay. and they teach teach the adults how to go engage with different places, right? That they teach them about social appropriateness or how to how to you know get a job and how what what things they might do when they go apply for the job, what types of things to ask on or you know put down on their resume, right? What types of questions to ask, those types of things. But um, yeah, given a lot of people might not be aware of certain cues or or behaviors of people who fall under the neurodivergent umbrella, one of the big things that I've I've seen is lack of eye contact while communicating. Mm-hmm. Is there any type of information that could be given to someone who's going on a job interview to, to kind of give to the interviewee or interviewer, just to give them the heads up that they're not dealing with somebody who has the typical cues that you would look for they don't communicate in in the way that some other people might i'm sure that we could you know there are lists that you could have a bullet point list of things to look for for someone with autism like lack of eye contact Mm. maybe they're fidgety maybe they're they're rocking back and forth in their chair you know maybe they're they're stimming in some sort of way stimming meaning repetitive behavior right you know types of things like that that they could they could look for for sure there's that's an easy thing to do yeah, a tip sheet. Yeah. You must, like as an EMS, you must have a lot of different things that you come across too. Oh, like... I've, I've definitely covered, <laughs> covered the spectrum. I've, I've been, I've been in EMS for over 30 years. So yeah. I've, I've seen a thing or two. Um, it, I think it definitely came in handy when I became a police officer, mm-hmm. you know, just understanding how to deal with certain people, being mindful of certain things, understanding, I think a little bit better than we, in the police academy, we, we did get some training on how to, to deal with, I think what they label was you know, mentally disabled people. Uh-huh. The idea of not underestimating the strength of some of these people, right. like the physical strength, mm-hmm. but also not underestimating what they're paying attention to. Right. Um, you know, they might be, right. they might be deficient and, and not appear to be your aware of what's going on, but mm-hmm the way that they process information is just as good, if not better than, than everybody else. Right. So I think there's, there's a lot of things that I've seen and, and a lot of things that I've, I think I've benefited from and it's made situations that I've been involved in a lot easier. That's good. Going in a better, in a good direction as opposed to something that could have went in a clearly a much worse direction. 
we did a training at the LAPD one time. They went in there and um, did like a recording. So we recorded different people, uh, ourselves, actually, one person acting autistic, another mm-hmm. person acting Down syndrome, and, you know, like just trained the officers at one point. So it was quite interesting. I'm all for certain. There's a number of things of reform that I would like to see changed mm-hmm. uh, in the way law enforcement's trained. A topic that I kind of recently started diving into is the idea of a national set of standards for police officers. Oh. And I, I think there there's some aspects where people would be resistant to that, of having you know, federal oversight of local law enforcement. And yes, there are very big differences from state to state because some laws are different from state to state. But I, I think having a, a certain set of standards of baseline, having that baseline of training, mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. would be key. I believe, if I remember correctly, New Jersey just kind of adopted Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a the standard for defensive tactics. Which what is it again? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is a lot more about, uh, to me, it's something that I've been preaching for 20 years. <laughs> it's To me, it's much more beneficial for law enforcement officers to use that as a defensive tactic or a, a martial art to learn as opposed to some of the other things that I've seen or requirements. I mean, when I was in the academy, the only requirement we really had was quote unquote boxing, which really wasn't even that. It was like 30 seconds to do a ring with a bunch of gloves and people swing at each other. So it wasn't much of anything. But yeah. I think if you teach officers, specifically Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because it's more about small joint manipulations, about gaining compliance, it's about being able to gain control of somebody while impacting or inflicting as little pain as possible. Mm-hmm it gives officers a much more broader toolbox to deal with aggressive people without causing pain. I know that some academies at one point were teaching Krav Maga. To me, that's completely inappropriate for law enforcement. And this is just my perspective. And I understand that. I know other police officers thought that was a great thing to turn to learn, but that's all about inflicting as much pain and, and, you know, stopping a threat counterintuitive to me when it comes to law enforcement you know we should be, yeah. be able to to gain control of somebody who's erratic you know and, and the other big thing as somebody who's practiced Brazilian jiu-jitsu it, it's a matter of size kind of becomes less of a factor strength becomes less of a factor if you know the technique not that yeah, it's, it not that it's always going to take over but it, it allows officers to be able to address you know the the mentally disabled or a deficient person who doesn't comprehend what they're doing, has that strength, but able to gain compliance from them so they're not hurting themselves or others. So to, I can go off on a whole other tangent that about that. Makes, but. That makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. I think it, it having here in Jersey done uh, took that as their their course of, uh, of action. I would love to see other states kind of jump on that. But uh, as far as training, and kind of going back to the, our point, the more that we can educate police officers about what, is under the umbrella and, and kind of just little pointers to how to identify and then manage. Um, I, I think that would be a huge benefit for not just police officers, but for, for the society as a whole. I do too. I do too. You, we did a training locally too. And actually my son wrote it. My son did um, part of that. He was instrumental in writing the whole thing up. So it has the perspective of, of a person with autism, you know, creating it. Right. Maybe I'll send it to you. <laughs> please, please do. It, 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 
that to me sounds like something that's going to be more valuable than people that are just kind of putting their heads together and, and reading different reports and, and different studies and saying, well, let, these things seem to be the trend, so let's throw this in there. But having somebody who's got that unique perspective of being immersed into it, I, I think adds a tremendous value, value to to what you're trying to put out there. Yeah. So I will. <laughs> what, what kind of things are, are next on, on your agenda? What, what kind of avenues are you pushing for? Um, I want to get the education out there. I want to raise awareness. I want people to have tools like this, like you're talking about, like resilient, uh, ju- what is it? Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it's it's um, a yeah. martial art that, that started in Brazil. Um, and it's just kind of taken off and... I something that I love. I'm I've always enjoyed the grappling arts because it's like physical chess to me, um, mm-hmm. and it's just something that I've, I've followed since I found out about it. And was 1993, I think, was when it first kind of really came out, or at least I was exposed to it, and I've just loved it ever since. Well, I was a lifeguard in the military, so I had this little girl who's like four foot nine, and she was like picking up these great, great big guys. So it's kind of like the same thing, you know. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, but you know, you've got to be able to have the skill set to carry somebody, and it's it's a skill set. Yeah, you know, you've got to have, know how the technique of how to move somebody who's great big who's flailing in the water because there's a great big shark out there. <laughs> <laughs> there's a it's it's almost a blend of science with the way that the techniques are, are formed because it's, it's a matter of knowing mechanics, uh, you know, where right. weight is distributed, where your weight should be, where, you know, how to make something, somebody who's light feel heavy, um, or somebody who's heavy feel light. There's, there's a lot of good stuff to it. You said you were in the military. Yes. <laughs> what, uh, what branch? Air force. Air force. Yeah. Well, U S air force. What was that time for you? Like, that time was, um, yeah, I like the structure. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I like basic training. And then when I got out of basic training, it, I was a 9025. Well, yeah, here we go back to the military brain. Um, I was <laughs> 90250, <laughs> a medical service specialist. So I worked all over the hospital. And then I worked in the base procurement office um, under the base procurement officer. And I, you know, I helped him out for a while. How long were you so, in, the, in the Air Force? Six years. Six years. So I got an early out. There were some things that happened, but honorable discharge, so <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> and then I went off and started traveling all over the world and, um, yeah, had a jewelry store. So, Do you see the how, how the military would be able to, to use people who fall under the spectrum, or do you think that that's oh, not a... Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Another... <laughs> You're really delving into my world here. Um, I absolutely, I wrote letters. I um, I really, really want to do some work with the military because they have so many challenges. And there's probably a lot of people that are in the military that are on the spectrum. They have so many challenges when they, when they have to move and they have to, you know, uproot their whole life and they have to move their kids mm-hmm. and they have so many issues around that. I've, I've written programs and everything. And Oh my God! That, yeah, I want to work. You know, I know that there's areas in the military that really, really need some help, and they don't have the right funding. They don't have the right resources in place. Right. I have a very, very strong passion um, to help the military, both in the U.S. and in Canada. My husband now was a colonel in the um, 
in the military in Canada for 30 years. Okay. And yeah, we're both very, very passionate about the military. You, you just mentioned something that I didn't even think about. The, you have a lot of military families you know, move from base to base, country to country. They have to statistically, some of those families have to be struggling with kids that are on the spectrum. And yep. I think be able to provide resources to them would yes. be incredibly beneficial. <laughs> yes, I know, I know, I know. And they have to, you know, change their, their environment, their sensory situations are all jumbled, you know, like they're so, uh, yeah. Continuity so of fun. care, I think, is something yeah. that might kind of fall under that. Is And that was one blessing that we had, again, with, with my youngest. Um, when he went to kindergarten, his preschool teacher came and met with the kindergarten teacher and they, you know, said, this is what we do. This is what you're going to see when he's doing this, just do this. And you've got his head, you've got his brain and he's off to the races. And that we were fortunate that the kindergarten teacher spoke to the first grade and second grade. And as he advanced, the teachers guys kind of simply said a note to each other, say, Hey, just so you know, this is Connor. This is what you're dealing with. This is how you can keep control of him. And, and it's worked out well. He's, he's, Obviously, I'm biased when I say this, but he's a, he's an absolutely brilliant kid. Both of my kids are. I How think, old are they? Uh, my oldest just turned 18, and my youngest is 15. But I think nice. both of them, at, at their respective ages, are uh, far more intelligent than <laughs> I was at their age. <laughs> but I think they get that from their mother, not me. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was myself being diagnosed with ADHD. I think in my early thirties. So I went through my whole academic career, you know, with the issues that I struggled with comprehension, things like that, that were probably misdiagnosed or just not diagnosed. And I think that's mm -hmm. a lot of people my age, um, <laughs> or in, in my age group kind of had that similar thing because I don't think that they looked at the nuances of <laughs> the problems that kids had. I know my brother was diagnosed with dyslexia, but you know, that was the only thing that people our age were rarely ever diagnosed with. You either had reading mm -hmm. comprehension issues or you were a troubled student or, you know, they just didn't seem to have the, the interest in, in diving into what the students needed best. Right. And then when I got out of high school, it, it was a matter of, I'd be developed the idea of lifelong learning, but it was a matter, I guess, because I was able to pick and choose what I was learning mm -hmm. and how I learned it and how I digested it, I, things became a little more interesting. And now I, can't stop, you know, bouncing all over the place of different topics and different books and learning about anything and everything. I hear you. <laughs> Where are you at? You're in, in uh, British Columbia or in Canada? Alberta. 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 Alberta, Canada. Got it. And how long have you been up there? I've been here, oh, since 84. Okay. But I'm a dual citizen. I will never let go of my United States. Never, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> how are you kids doing in because you at least alluded that one's over over twenty. So they're, they're, okay, I have seven, and they're doing the two that are neurodistinct are doing good. Like I said, the uh, the autistic one is taking the iSocial class, and mm. so he's looking about building a career, and he's doing well. Good, excited about it. And I, like I said, I'm going to send you his thing that he did on the police. Yes, please do. I would love to read I that. Will. Yeah, I've I've gotten a good. 40 minutes out of you so far. So I appreciate that. Before I jump into my, uh, my few questions of, of absurdity, any, anything that you wanted to make sure we get out there? Um, well, I can, I can talk about anything. Let's see. 
talked about Lindsay and Neuronutritionals Talk Shop Live. We also have Autism Flicks. Autism Flicks is a partnership that we got from World the World Autism Summit as well. And we're partnering partnering with Autism Flicks to bring all types of content. All on there's ABA, there's other types of methodologies as well. You know, different interventions because there's many many types of interventions. So um, for people to you know learn about, right? Uh, Autism Flicks is that more content that is involving neurodivergent people, or is it? Uh, more, more like educational. Okay. It's more educational for professionals. And we're focused, you know, we're trying to get as much information out there for p- parents, professionals, educators, universities, hospitals, clinics. As much as I can in my lifetime, I want to get as much information out there that I can. Got it. So in any avenue that I can. So we're, I'm doing whatever I can do. Given that you've been kind of at the forefront of pushing this for, couple decades now um the the use of the internet has dramatically changed from when you started to where we are now yeah how much different do you think things would be if the internet hasn't expanded your ability to to disseminate information interesting question when my dad was an aeronautical engineer back in the day right and he told me you know karen one day you're going to be able to talk to somebody on the other side of the world using this thing you know it was like a victor a victor 6000 which took up half the size of of the living room right because he had his own internet or his own uh, company he worked at lockheed boeing square engine all all the big ones but he also had his own company and he was really really excited about it and he got me very very excited about it too and that's how i actually started out and i had at one time i had more people on my list than the autism society of america and this is back before autism speaks even started so I was very, very focused on internet marketing, on the internet, and on building that out. Of course, I'm not there now, but you know, I, I've always been fascinated by computers and and uh, technology and everything like that. I'm probably somewhere on the spectrum spectrum myself, but um, yeah, I, I've I started a domain name company and I registered with a bunch of domain names. I had 400 at one time, but where would I be without the internet? I I would not be <laughs> where I am, that's for sure. Yeah, the internet is such a tool. It's so powerful because you can reach everybody. Yeah. When I first started out, I said, watch, you can watch your, you can watch um, courses, you know, from your computer at home in your pajamas. And back then they thought I was talking about porn because I said <laughs> pajamas. <laughs> yeah, how, the uh, the use of the internet. Back then. The use of internet helped me finish my college degree because I did I did it pretty much all online. I did my entire college degree, all four years of my bachelor online. Um, wow. So that was, the internet's been very beneficial to me that, in, in that capacity. Yeah, I got the Internet Entrepreneur of the Year Award when I first started out. Wow. From Mark Victor Hansen and Jack, from the multiple streams of income. So way back in the day. That's impressive. <laughs> the, the internet's been good to me. I can imagine that it, where you are now, um, with your your mission would be probably significantly hampered had it oh, not, yeah. be, not been for that. That's true. So I'm going to go into my, my first my first fun question to, to lighten the levity of things. If animals could talk, which would be the rudest? Which would be what? The rudest. The rudest? 
a boa constrictor. <laughs> <laughs> Any reason why you chose the boa? I could just see it wrapping around my neck and just bite. I don't know. Just be angry. <laughs> I would. I would tend to think that cats would be the rudest. Just all the tropes with cats being evil minds and plotting, and then my own experience with one of my cats yesterday or the other day, where I was sitting there petting him. He curled up on my lap, and I'm you know just petting him, and then he just out of the blue just started attacking my hand. So. Oh yeah, they can be rude. Yeah, cats are crazy. I think a boa would be a lot ruder. <laughs> Possibly. I think the, the bigger and stronger they are, the uh, the more rude they could be. I, I could see that. Oh, yeah. Uh, question two. What would be your weapon of choice in a zombie apocalypse? I don't know. What kind of weapons do I have a choice of? Whatever you wanted. This is all for you to answer. Whatever whatever pops but in your head. What's the choice? I don't uh, know what I'm choosing. I don't usually think about weapons, so I don't know. <laughs> I think I would go with something that uh, isn't reliant on ammunition or some sort of source. So more of a, a melee weapon, a, a nice thick batter, big sledgehammer would probably be beneficial. So I just don't have to worry about running out of ammo. And it's always going to be there when I need it. I was thinking it. a sword. Would a sword be something? I would definitely imagine that being a good thing. It'd at least stop them from coming after you if you take their legs out. Uh, and the third question. Do I get a red Skittle if I win? <laughs> <laughs> what is the best type of cheese? And uh, I figured that this would be a good question for you coming the fact that you've traveled, uh, traveled the world extensively. Oh, I Swiss and Gouda. <laughs> I'm a big fan of cheddar, but I have to, I have to go with Brie just because my wife's name has Brie in it. Oh, Brienne. Uh, Brie. Uh, her, her name's Dana Brie, but it she's got the cheese in her. So there you go. You got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I I greatly appreciate all your time. Um, any parting notes or anything that I can we can put out there? My to do list. Well, yeah. Uh, everybody, never be afraid to talk to somebody that's a bit different than you. And if they don't look you in the eye, that's fine. Um, just love them. Got it. Who they are. Well, I greatly appreciate your time. I greatly appreciate the insight. And I will make sure that people can find all your, your links and the, the neuronutrition and ways to reach out to you in case you have any questions. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.